It would have made the cold open. It would have made the cold open of this mo- of this episode way easier, oh, yeah. right? Because we, yeah. we just get. We could have just gotten us being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it would have just been two minutes of like 69. And if we ever score 69 points, you could be damned well sure. You can save this audio to be the cold open of that audio. Welcome to Chapel Belker, stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And uh, we had a hell of a weekend there, y'all. It's a, uh, I mean, it was something. It was definitely a football game, it seemed like. There were all the pieces that make a football game, but it was a, a real uh, real wampin' that we got to see the, the our Georgia Bulldogs pull over on these uh, Vanderbilt Commodores. Uh, but we'll get into the stats, what we can take away, what these uh, what this game did show us, and we'll talk about what it didn't show us, uh, because there was plenty to still see, and we'll talk a little bit about that. We have some uh, some nice takeaways, some prediction reviews, ask CBCs. You know the you know the, the game plan. You know how it works. But lots of ask CBCs. Oh yeah, so many ask CBCs. Not, this this is a kind of a light on impact game. Yeah, but I know uh, we'll also talk a little bit about you know what what else happened around the uh, the league as well because there were some interesting games happening out there. But before we get to that, I would love to hear about your experience this weekend, Nathan, because I know it was different than it normally is. Yeah, uh, I was at home. Uh, this was a small derbies game for the Redcoats, so I didn't. They only took about forty people, and I didn't go. I've been to the the Vandy game before. It's actually really fun. Mm-hmm. Nashville's a cool town, and it it's a very high schooly stadium. And I don't mean that in a, I don't mean that in a derogatory way. Know, yeah, in an insulting way. Yeah, it just feels very pure. You know, it's just like a small little stadium. I like it a lot. Feels like you're very close to the action, mm-hmm. uh, but. So I was at home with my wife. It was a wonderful day. I got up late. I slept in. I uh, got up and watched the end of game day. And then I kind of flipped around trying to find our game because it was sort of in ESPN hell for a second. It was. And then then I got the game. And I don't know. I mean, it was just it was one of those things where Samantha slept in later than I did because we had stayed up really late the night before <laughs> and she was she was awake but she was just like in the bedroom hanging out uh-huh. and she came outside at like 12:20 or something she came out to where the, the the TV was and she was like what the hell is happening <laughs> how what what is going on right now cuz she was like I didn't even know the game had started and we we're up like 28 nothing mm-hmm. I was like yeah I I, I thought it wasn't going to be competitive but whenever I say that, there's just like a little bit, there's a little part of me every time that I predict a non-competitive game that's like, and this is when we get totally blown out and <laughs> I get famous not for my predictive prowess, but for the one time I got it really wrong. Yep. It was just like a little twinge. And so like, I think last Friday was, or last weekend week was really the first time that I predicted a, that I predicted a blowout where I was like, no, this is going to be a blowout. And if it's not, it's because like God intervened somehow. <laughs> Uh, but she didn't, and here we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you know, the rest of the day, I got to flip around and watch TV. It was it was a really great day because I sort of like made a list of things to do around the house for myself, including putting up some pictures behind me so that my Look stream you. setup is not quite so like uh, barren and sad. I kind of looked like I was being held hostage in like you know some Bulgarian prison or something <laughs> previously. Um, so I feel like there's a little more color yeah. in the screen. Uh, and I decided, like, you know, if I do this list of things around the house and I shave, I'm just going to do nothing the whole day and I'm going to feel really, like, really powerful. And I did. And I watched 
I basically just watched college football for like 12 hours. It was amazing. It's everything I thought it could be. Yeah. It's the first Saturday in like a month and a half that I haven't gotten like 25,000 steps or more. <laughs> and I feel so well rested. I feel so, so just so energetic and excited to get out here with you and, and just play in this space. Yeah. How was your Saturday? Just play in this space. It was great. I, um, I kind of had a day to myself in the morning there. I, I went out and about and ran some errands, but I, uh, uh, did my AthAP training in the morning, got to do that, and then I got to go and speak for the annual dog day of service, which was really cool. Um, and then after that, it just kind of wandered around downtown. I had a, a sandwich. I sat in the college plaza um, right across from the arch, which was really nice, and just kind of walked around. I got to see like the status of the uh, uh, all the construction going on downtown. And the time by the time the game started, like. I was trying to make a point to get downtown so I could like kind of watch on my phone the game while I was kind of sitting uh, right there in the plaza downtown. But by the time I got there, it was like maybe 12.10, 12.15, and it was already well out of hand. And I was like, well, <laughs> I wonder what other games are going on. So I just spent kind of the early afternoon bopping around uh, watching other games. And there was plenty of football to watch. And Team Chaos was very alive on Saturday, which I, I really enjoyed uh, for all of that. And Following that, though, I got to go uh, out to Terrapin and celebrate a friend's 30th birthday party. It was 90s themed and uh, yours truly dressed up as uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, uh, a la 90s style with his black turtleneck, chains, and fanny pack. It was probably the most comfortable outfit um, I've worn in quite some time. And yeah, I, I really enjoy like whenever anybody says like it's a theme party. Anna and I go all out like it's a costume party now like if you say any sort of thing that we need to look like or do beforehand like you can count on us to do the thing <laughs> go go hard in the paint yeah we're ready yeah uh, and so it was I great I respect that about you as a couple yeah and she was denimed out super denimed she got a bucket hat a uh, little Britney Spears shirt that she's pretty much been wearing since then just because it's a super nice little sleep shirt now uh, because everything in the 90s I, was too your, big your wife is your wife is a gorgeous woman mm-hmm. but I don't know that anyone has ever put a bucket hat on and it's been like, oh, now you're sexier. <laughs> like you're you're a better looking person now that the bucket hat's on. You know what mm-hmm, I mean? Mm-hmm. It's sort of like the it's a like fashion prophylactic. I think. Yeah, it's, it, it's really it's really powerful. It is really powerful in in many ways that I I have yet to understand. And so maybe she'll put it back on. Maybe she won't. We'll see what happens. But that was kind of my experience, and I got to watch the at, at Terrapin with those friends. Uh, many of them were NC State graduates, and so. They were absolutely enamored oh, Lord. Uh, by the enamored and hammered. <laughs> that should be on a shirt. <laughs> Chapel Bell Curve, enamored and hammered. Uh, they were absolutely enamored by the game with Clemson. And uh, we had one Clemson graduate there as well. So it was a, a good mixed oh, no. crowd. Um, yeah. And and the Clemson grad was very much like the, the kind of, had the kind of swagger that you would expect from somebody that went to Clemson because it was the same sort of like Dabo Swinney swagger, like, ah, even if we lose, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter, whatever. Just <laughs> just little me, just a little me, yeah. little Clemson. We'll be fine. Don't don't it's think great, about us. It's great when they act, it's great when they actually are little me, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, they really are exactly just some farm school or whatever. But uh, we, I would love to talk a little uh, bit more about those games once we get through our own game. Uh, but yeah, sure. What yeah. do you say? You want to hop over? We're on game on yeah. paper for this one. And uh, we will yeah. begin dropping these in. Uh, we drop them in our Discord while we uh, talk about. Uh, I'll, I'll put I will put them in the Twitch chat yeah. and the YouTube chat right now. That sounds great. We would love to do that. Um, 
and we'll, you know, if you ever want to hop over on our Discord, we talk about it all the time. It's just a buck. And we put all this information, um, all the show notes, all of the access to the stats. And Nathan's going to talk, I'm sure, a little bit more about what he's been working on with one of our our stats friends on our Discord. Um, and we'll talk about those, mm-hmm. uh, that, that data yeah, as well. Yeah, this is a- absolutely, absolutely the tip of the iceberg that you, the stats that we're sitting out right now are not even our stats. They're just a website that we really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is like the absolute tip of the iceberg, what you guys are about to see uh, if you click on the link I'm about to send out. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I, oftentimes I think that it's really, it's really powerful to have these advanced metrics where it's like they can really tell you a story about uh, of a game that maybe you wouldn't have gotten otherwise, or they can illuminate and provide context to a story that you already have. Like if you're there in person and you have the advanced stats, oftentimes it just adds, I think, a level level of depth and color to the experience after the fact. But this is this is one of the very few games that I've ever pulled stats on that was a conference game where it's just like, yeah, we beat that ass. <laughs> we sure did. Uh, it's like Kirby got up and was like, today is the day that I beat ass. And then eight hours later, 62 to nothing. Uh, you know, he probably just didn't want to answer. My my conspiracy theory is that he didn't want to answer the questions about scoring 69 points. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he <laughs> intentionally didn't score 69 points. And so, but I mean, there's really no, I mean, if you look at the win expectancy graph in this, it's like. It's a flat line, I think dude. The, <laughs> <laughs> it's like 98.2 is the lowest it gets for Georgia. It's just like all red. There's nothing in the Vanderbilt side. Uh, this was a game where if we just look at EPA, which is one of our favorite uh, collective ex- uh, sort of advanced metrics that tells you uh, what what sort of how many points per play you are adding to your uh, offense just based, based on the results of the play. Uh, UGA's total EPA was 17 uh 2.53 penalty epa negative two special teams epa uh 17 offensive epa vandy's total epa was negative 43 <laughs> vandy ran five more plays than than georgia had points oh it feels I, bad to laugh but man UGA, okay usually had a 74 okay stop rate right stop rate is the percentage of runs that you stop before two yards okay like zero one or two yards Vandy's stop rate, 74%, right? Vandy had 17% of their plays that they they snapped the ball. They had a havoc play result on offense. Uh, they had they gave up four tackles for loss. They only gave up one sack, but it didn't matter. Five, uh, five passes defense, two picks, one fumble forced. Like, I, there's, this game is just, it was not, it was not competitive in any way. Yeah. Uh, Vandy had a, let's see. Uh, What's Vandy had a power run oh success rate of zero. Um, they ran 27 times uh, on 46 plays, and they had 36 O line. They had 1.34 O line yards per carry, which UJ's was also pretty bad. Uh, but still, 3.57 per rush opportunity, 67 plays, 48, 46 scrimmage plays. Uh, they only had two explosive plays the whole day, and even those were barely explosive by definition. Mike Wright went three for nine, 16 yards, one interception, 41.7 QBR. Ken Seals, two for nine, eight Man. yards, one pick, one sack, seven, 7.8 seven QBR. Not 70.8 seven. QBR, 7.8 QBR. Uh, you know, I thought 
JT Daniels looked really good. Nine for Dan, 129 yards, two, two touchdowns, no sacks, 79.2 QBR. Uh, I thought that, you know, I mean, the one drop that he had on the day was, or the one incomplete pass he had on the day was just a complete drop on the receiver's part. I think that was a Justin Robinson part because I think that was when I made an unflattering comparison to uh, Matt Landers. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this was not not a very competitive game. and There's really nothing, not a lot else to say about it other than that, that it wasn't competitive. I mean, if we look at our, you know, it. I guess the biggest thing that it did, if we look at our advanced stats update, yeah. is that it boosted some of UJ's offensive stats. These are, so what's crazy is this, this, this game was in garbage time for like i guess for 75 percent of it was in garbage time basically garbage time before the end of the first quarter yeah so my stats are just ranked on non-garbage time Mm -hmm. snaps so that's when you're winning by less than 25 points so uh uga moved up several ranks they're the 29th ranked epa offense they're 42nd in uh, sr 49th in explosive 60 in stuff rate 56 in line yards, 108 in rush EPA. That's probably the worst stat on the day. 14th in pass EPA. You know, I mean, first in defensively, first in EPA, 12th in success rate, first in uh, explosiveness rate, 17th in stuff rate, 26 in line yards, seventh in rush EPA, second in pass EPA, first in standard down EPA, second in pass down EPA. Just an absolutely dominant. This is just an absolutely dominant team. And basically the most significant thing about this game was that A, to my knowledge, there were no major injuries. And B, it improved our national ranks. And some of the metrics are starting to catch up with how good we've been playing. Yeah, uh, We took over first place in the SP Plus rankings today. And I think that part of that is sort of like a correction to how UGA has been breaking its own curve. Yeah. Right? If we if we set up a, a, a basically a preseason metrical curve of here's based on, you know, returning production, stability, uh, returning talent, returning, you know, stats. Here's basically what we expect UJ to do. UJ has basically outperformed that in every way possible. The only time they haven't covered is in South Carolina. And that was on a late, a late backdoor cover by South Carolina. I think it's the third team. Uh, every other time they've covered the, the, the spread, it's by been by more than 10 points. I mean, Great teams destroy bad teams. Mm-hmm. And in the past, like in, in the Mark Richt era, I remember when I was in school, you know, <laughs> in, in the 2010s, early, mid-2000s, there was a lot of talk about how like, well, why why does, why does UJ play down to the level of its competition, right? And some of that's discipline, right? But some of it is the fact that the gap between UGA and its lowest competition was much smaller, right? UGA did not really even have, we didn't really even have our A game against Vanderbilt like in some ways like the 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 offensive line was rotating a lot the pass blocking was kind of just so so the defense played played really well but there were a couple of times where they lost contain right but it just didn't matter because like they they actually pointed this out on the broadcast and I thought it was one of the highlights of the broadcast because there were some not definite lowlights to the broadcast uh which was one weird thing about watching the game uh but they put it on the broadcast that like there was a play where Jalen Carter got a tackle for lost like you know within the uh, Vanderbilt, like Vanderbilt was backed up into its own ter- territory. And it was a play where, you know, we didn't fill the run very well. And we'd actually lost like gap soundness on the run. But Jalen Carter is just a five star freak of nature who is like, you know, 300 pounds and runs. And so he just clotheslined the guy and then he fell over. And so it's like, that's, it doesn't really matter what happens last next week. This is a special season. It doesn't really matter what happens. The, I mean, it does. It does. What makes a special season is the results of the game. But I think it's worth noting and pausing that, like, when we start, okay, so like in 2017, when we started this podcast, mm-hmm. right, one of our sort of founding premises was like, 
nobody's saying that UGA is good as they are. This is a team that should beat Florida easily. This is a team that could go to the SEC championship. And then it happened. And one of the things that we talked about was like, hey, savor this moment. This hasn't always been the experience at UGA. There are a lot of times when Georgia just hasn't lived up to the hype. And it's like, even then, we were constantly, like, even, even when we were at our zenith in 2017, right, there was still a feeling, to at least to me, that, like, we're not to the Alabama level yet, right? We have a bunch of special senior players, and we're playing very special football right now. But, like, we don't have the depth that Alabama has, which was proven correct when we played Alabama and they beat us with backups, right? Mm-hmm. We are Alabama now. Like, I, like my takeaway from this game and, I, and I'm happy to hear, like, whatever else you think. But, like, my biggest thing is, like, we have an above-average offense right now. And if you just take the pass offense, we're way above average. We have better depth than anybody else in the country. We are, you know, even on the plays that I hate, that I don't think we'd be, we should be running, we have, like, you know, a 50% success rate on, right? We have a, a run offense that looks basically just competent, if not good. Yeah. You know, like... This is a team that should go to the national t- title, and this is a team that, like, if you were taking UGA versus the field for the rest of the year, you still take the field because Alabama exists. But if you took UGA versus everybody but Alabama, all 129 teams, you'd take UGA right now. Yeah. And that's that's not been true since we started this podcast. Yeah, that's absolutely like, true. There were always question marks out, out and about, uh, but, but it's absolutely true. Like, this – I – I've been kind of having moments where I kind of reflect on how far I've got this season. And then I reflect on past years and, and just this feels very different. Um, and the numbers back that up as well. Uh, you know, every game we've had so far is just kind of really truly back that up. Like this game, I will say like we, I was joking earlier about how, you know, you don't want to laugh at them or, you know, they're already dead kind of thing. And uh, anybody want to see a dead body, et cetera, et cetera, with this Vanderbilt game. But this game, I feel, says more about Georgia and how far they've come and how the philosophy has changed for this team more than it does for any amount of problems that the Vanderbilt football program has right now in this moment. I think it says a lot more about Georgia overall and, and how well they are playing. Um, and it shows in the numbers. I mean, the, these aren't just numbers that a good team does, that a good team puts up against a bad team. This is These are the kind of numbers that a, a great team puts up against any team. And that, that's kind of how I feel about it. And I'm, I feel very strongly uh, going forward that we're going to continue putting up these sort of numbers. Um, yeah. And it, especially as we, we, you know, the the Death Star itself becomes fully operational as the season goes on and we get people back off the, the injured reserve lift. So, man, man, oh, man. But do you want to... Um, what else do you have about uh, have to say about this offense and and just kind of the pieces and and maybe the philosophy and maybe the the identity of these offense going forward how it has changed and and what do we know now that we didn't know yeah. before the season started so epa wise we're not running the ball very well but it's one of those things where and i think we have a couple of questions about this in ACBC. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of these things where like it doesn't super matter we we've we've we're running the ball slightly more than we pass the ball. We've run 141 run plays and 122 pass plays. Uh, we have way more yards passing. 100. We have 1,144 pass plays or pass yards, and we're averaging 9.38 yards per play on passes versus 4.79 with runs. Uh, we have a 51% success rate on passes versus 46% on runs. You know, it's like as a running offense, we don't have a great EPA and we're getting stuffed too much. And there's just too many times where the play just doesn't work, but when it works, it's actually working pretty well. We have a pretty good highlight yards rank on the year. Uh, you know, our, our most run play to this top point is still inside zone read. 
which we've run 47 times this year for a seven, uh, 17.87 share of our plays and uh, 48.9% success rate. These are all the, all these stats are, are courtesy of SAC StatCat. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it's like, it's one of those things where we clamored for years and years and years for like open up the offense. You know, it doesn't matter. You, you don't win championships with running anymore. You have to be able to throw the ball down the field. Well, this is what you get. <laughs> Here it like, is. This is this is us. We have done it. We are we are opening up the vertical pass game, right? And we're still running. And maybe we're running a little bit more than we should. But I mean, ultimately, I think that the future of this offense is in its pass game. And I also think that once we get back some players that, you know, we're going to see the run game kind of open up a little bit more. I think we've really wished, you know, there's a lot of talk about like, well, do we need Darnell Washington because we have Brock Bowers? And like, I would say we do. Well, not a lot, but some people are saying this, but like, I would say we do because as special a season as Brock Bowers has had, and we should talk about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things we've really missed this year is Darnell Washington's pass block or his run blocking. Who He can be a very dominant run blocker when he really gets engaged. And I, and I think actually one of the low key stories is that it hasn't looked great uh, when John Fitzgerald has been pass block or rush blocking this year. And I think a lot of the problem that we're having with the uh, inside zone read is that basically the the strong side of the formation becomes the backside if you're running split zone. But sometimes depending on the blocking scheme, the, the, the strong side of the formation is the backside that you're supposed to go inside, backside, front side. And I think we have a lot of guys leaking through what is the play backside, but it's actually the strong side of the formation. And a lot of times they're coming through that like C gap between the, well, yeah, C gap between the tackle and the tight end. And, and there have just been several times where you see guys like cut across the back of the formation behind the offensive line because they were able to just cut under um, – they were able to just like sort of cut under the um, – like whatever blocking was out there. Mm-hmm. So I think getting Darnell Washington back will open up the run game a little bit. I think just like – usually hasn't really needed to run it, so the success or failure hasn't mattered. But yeah, I mean I think this is – you know, right now per SP+, this is like a top – 30 offense and i think that it will be the rest of the year uh and i think it'll trend up do you have any observations um i mean the, the biggest thing just comes from the stats like it's it's nuts to look down like uh just the, the the game stats overall and see how many single digit numbers that vanderbilt put up just across the board uh and and then even it once it isn't a double digits it's not very high <laughs> but this was just a, a, a just a absolutely dominant game and i i don't foresee it changing all that much in many games going forward like i i feel like this 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 is here to stay this is not a fluke this is not a flash in the pan this is going to be something we're going to see going forward mm-hmm. um, and i said it last week that you know before last week i i didn't necessarily trust or believe entirely that this is who we are now uh it felt more like a 2021 thing or or you know just how we're playing and how well we're playing and the the way that we've changed our offensive scheme but this is how we play now and this is who this team is now and it's it's very very exciting it's very exciting this is a very special team even more special than the team that we thought said was the most special team we could have seen um back in 2018 like yeah yeah i'm yeah that's my biggest takeaway it's just man jordan daniels so jordan davis uh, sorry, not Jordan Davis. <laughs> JT Daniels had 20 snaps yeah. in this game in a game that we won 62 to nothing. Jordan Davis had like 10. Mm-hmm. I think he might have had like nine or eight or something. Like those are your two best players, yeah. right? And what happens when you bring in the second team? You trot out guys who would start on 98% of teams, including most of the SEC conference. Yeah. 
right? Like Jalen Carter starts on Florida's team. He starts in Arkansas. Dude. He starts everywhere. Jalen Carter. Except well, maybe Alabama. He played, man. And honestly, he probably starts on Alabama's team. So it's like, we're going to like try to leave some of the Arkansas preview stuff for the actual Arkansas preview episode. Mm-hmm. We're getting we're getting questions about Arkansas. But I would say that the line is 18 right now. And we had a discussion on our Discord about how you know Vegas is trying to lurch back the line because they've been underestimating UG lines, UGA lines. I think 18 is probably a little high. But if you gave me you know, UGA minus 10, I'd have to think about it. If you gave me UGA minus nine and a half, mm-hmm. I think this is about 11, an 11 point game per, um, it's about an 11 point game per SP plus. And to me, that feels a little big, but if UGA won this game, you know, what, 28, 14, would we be shocked? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I mean, I, I think it's one of those things where, and we, I don't want to spoil the Arkansas preview, but it's like the things that Arkansas does well and wants to do, they like UGA is good at stopping. Yep. They're, they're right? the, and the yeah. thing that UGA does well, the thing that UGA does well, Arkansas is also okay at stopping, but they're not as like dominant at stopping. So I think ultimately, like this has been, Ar- this is Arkansas team is playing like they're whomping teams. They're like playing old slobber knocker physical football. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know what, motherfucker, like we are the <laughs> ones who knock, we are the ones who whomp. Like if there's anybody getting whomped on this game, it's uh, it's not us, right? We're only getting whomped in this game if we have a bunch of injuries and like you know we turn the ball over four or five times. But that's not a whomping. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing how the five six weeks ago, I did not expect the hardest game or the highest ranked game that we'd be playing to be Arkansas next weekend. Um, and then after that, we got we got a big big Florida game coming up soon after that. And so it's like. And Florida looks really good per SP+. Plus. Uh, Arkansas doesn't look nearly as good as Florida does. Florida just went up to number four. And I, I'm still kind of in disbelief that SP+, Plus has liked us as much as it does right now to put us at number one. Um, it's just kind of nuts. Uh, but what else do you have to kind of say about this this game other as far as takeaways go um, before we get into some next segments? Uh, I think, I mean, I really don't have much left. Mm-hmm. I think... This is a team that has is doing that. There's not a single thing that we've asked them to do that they haven't done. Um, it seems like the experiment O line is passing off. I don't. It's paying off. I don't think it's settled. I think there are a lot of combinations. I think on JT Daniels' last uh, series, we saw uh, Sawyer at left guard mm-hmm. and then Broderick Jones at left tackle. I wouldn't be surprised to see that even against Arkansas. I think right tackle is pretty unsettled. I thought Warren Erickson looked like he was just really hot and cold. And, you know, he's playing out of position, and I get that. Like, he's a center by nature, and we're asking him to play right guard. But I just think that there were times when Warren Agerson looked really good, and a lot of times against the run, I think. And then there were times against the pass where it's it was just it was just pretty bad. <laughs> um, so I thought that, you know, what do you say about Brock Bowers, man? He's the size of a tight end, and he runs like a wide receiver, and you hand him the ball in a jet sweep and he runs it 30 yards for a touchdown. Like what? I mean, he's so good. Insane. Yeah. And, I mean, he, he's a freshman. He's a freshman. You get three more years of him. He's not no Sean Marino. We're going to use him for all he's worth. It's clear that we want, it's clear that we want to target him because he's just open all the freaking all the time. time. And I don't see that really changing. I, I don't think, I think, I think that if we see Darnell Washington come back, we're definitely going to see some more like 12 personnel. I think, a, I think a world in which you have Darnell Washington, uh, Jermaine Burton, Brock Bowers, and whatever your Z, whoever you want to put out there at Z or X or whatever, mm-hmm. you just if you run that out there in twelve personnel, it's like 
how do you stop that, right? Like, even if you go into cloud defense, they're just going to sit down in the cloud and they're going to run little comeback routes all day. They're going to run crossing routes underneath it. Like, I, I think Brock Bowers is such an incredible weapon. And we were, we, at the beginning of the year when G- George Pickens got hurt and we were like, well, you know, you kind of got to do it by committee and you got to do it by like, you know, no one's going to really replace George Pickens production and who he is to this offense. And that's still true, mm-hmm. but it's like, did any of us think that the answer was going to be no. the person who replaces George Pickens on offense is a 19 year old tight end from Napa, California, <laughs> who is really closer to being a tall wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, he and he and JT I mean, just have like, the California, that, that California connection, baby. I, I mean, at this point it's like, I think it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, he's just, he's just a, he's a ridiculously good receiving threat. And he's having, if he continues to have the season that he's having right now, he's going to be the best. It's going to be the best season from a Georgia tight end as a freshman ever. And maybe the best season as it from a Georgia tight end period. Yeah. Like that's, that's the the pace that he's on. We've just never used tight ends in this way. I feel like this way, in this way, this efficiently. Well, I don't know if we've had this one this good. No. Yeah, but we haven't. I, and I, and I think that, I think that, you know, he's, I think that part of it's talent and part of it's that, we finally have an offensive coordinator who knows how to employ, mm-hmm. who knows how to ride the hot hand. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And there were so many targets on the day. I, and I guess my biggest takeaways, some of the takeaways in this game, I will say, are are just some of the the players that we have doing what they're doing. Uh, like Lad McConkey, awesome. Brock Bowers, incredible. Uh, I was really impressed once he shake, shook off the cobwebs. Uh, Dejon Edwards. You know, near the end of the game, there yeah. running the ball and really kind of commanding the run game. Um, a real, he's he's a real short yardage threat. He is. I think he is just a little bowling ball that we threw in there, and he was making making holes himself, and he was doing the thing. Uh, we get to see him for a, or another year at the very least, and yeah, um, and Jalen Carter. Really, I think Jalen Carter near the end of the game there was able to kind of show that even after this year defensively. I think that we're still going to have the depth that we want and need. And we, we are truly building uh, a team that is a year to year threat and not just a flash in the pan. Like, you know, that absolutely the generational uh, programs that we have, like the ones in a generational program, like that LSU team. Um, like this is not that yeah. this is something different and it'll continue well past mm-hmm. these folks have lost uh, left. So absolutely agree. Yeah. Absolutely. agree. So few games around the league, that I think were also really exciting that I want to talk with you a little bit about. And some of them have, um, a couple of them have some um, implications that, that you know, kind of are relevant to us. Whereas one of them is just kind of a, ah, you know, it, it would have had implications had our season looked different. Um, the one that I'm talking about is the Clemson and uh, North Carolina State game, where North Carolina State mm-hmm. um, squeaked out a win um, at the end of that game. Cause it, it was one of those things where it was North Carolina's game to lose uh, at a certain point. They, cause they missed three field goals <laughs> and they had um, more than four, 40 more plays than Clemson on the day. Uh, it was just a wild time. And Clemson just, they just look shook is the thing. Like they cannot get started offensively for some reason. And um, somebody said it the other day that they were like, uh, I think DJ's seeing ghosts out there. Like <laughs> DJ got rocked so hard that he's just afraid uh, at this point of of what might be lurking on the other side of his offensive line uh, after that Georgia game. And so um, the reason why I bring this one up is is one because of the I, I just enjoy the Schadenfreude um, of of Dabo Swinney having such a, a terrible time. But uh, two, you know, our season we'd be questioning this Georgia team a lot more 
if our season was going differently than it had since this Clemson game, because there were a lot of offensive question marks um, coming out of that game, I know, but I think that we've answered those questions uh, in stride, and um, it, it's just not really an issue anymore. You know, if we weren't scoring, if we were having closer games with Vanderbilt, for instance, we'd be looking at this game, this Clemson game, and thinking, like, maybe Georgia's not really as good as the, that number two slot, and we'd be questioning it a lot more, but... Um, what, yeah, yeah. It, 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 to me, this game kind of puts in perspective what a what a special effort this team special is such a horrible word. It really it really puts into perspective how meaningful the efforts of that team in in the this team in the Clemson game were. I mean, it was a game where you were massively undermanned. Mm-hmm. You had all these guys out and it wasn't pretty. But you came out and you got the win. And honestly, if you play this game today, it's probably like, I mean, if you play this game, not as the first game, if this game was game four, I think Georgia probably wins by like 24 points. Yeah. Like, no joke. Like, I I, I think, um, you know, the, the score might be like 24 to three or something. But like, I just think that um, this is a game where it this could have, like you said, radically changed the the the. It would have been even like understandable had it radically changed how the season went, because with the sort of mitigating circumstances with all the, the injuries that you had, I mean, you it, it would have made sense if Georgia had lost this game. And, and it's really interesting how you think about like what might have been, because it's like part of the reason that Georgia is just like in the catbird seat, really, right, is like you can't really afford a loss, but ultimately like the goal is to win every game. And if you lose a game to a good opponent you're probably still okay. Mm-hmm. Like, for, I'll give you an example. Like, we probably got to beat Florida to go to the SEC championship. Yeah. But if you lose to Arkansas this weekend, which I don't know that I think that we will, but if you lose to Arkansas this weekend, you still have a lot in front of you, right? And it's just one of those, it's obviously a weird year. You've got playoff contenders losing or looking bad all over the place. And one of the reasons that, you know, this weekend was like, I think a certified blood week, but one of the reasons that I thought it was really interesting thinking about that in regards to Georgia was that like, it was a certified blood week, but it just didn't matter for Georgia because they're playing a nobody team and they won by 62 points. And it was like, whatever, moving on, wah, wah, <laughs> right? And like, I, I just think it, it's it's one of those like you look back at, at you look back at it now and you're like, man, <laughs> dodged a bullet because this game is this this whole season is radically different. Yeah, if you lose that game. Yeah. Uh, other game that's really interesting. Chris, to look Christmas at. saves the season. Yeah. <laughs> um, this Kentucky South Carolina game. This was a an interesting game as well. But I, you've been talking a lot about how um, you know if we end up seeing a team like Iowa in the playoffs, for instance, that it's kind of Kirby Smart's uh, bread and butter. It's what he wants, and I think that that's exactly what we might see in this Kentucky team this year. Uh, Kentucky won sixteen to ten against South Carolina. Um, it was just a it, it was a really slow game uh, as far as you know, just not a whole lot of explosive plays going on, uh, just kind of beating each other back and forth down the field, but. Kentucky, from start to finish, uh, it was in their it, it was in their favor the entire time. Um, not nearly as favorable as the Vanderbilt game with us, but uh, there was not a moment in the game per uh, win probability that it, it it ever swayed in South Carolina's uh, direction. But what is something that yeah. you know, looking at this game that you can expect to I guess look forward to with this Kentucky game with us? Um. I think this Kentucky team has a good rush offense and having a good rush offense, but a flawed pass offense. They were when passing, they had a 41% success, uh, like EPA success rate. 
Uh, overall, their total EPA was negative three because their total offensive EPA was negative three. Mm. Um, you know, it's honestly like it's one of those games that I was very worried about like two weeks ago. I'm a little bit less worried about right now because, I mean, if you have negative, I mean, this is a team that UGA scored 40 on. And if you can only put 16 on Cal- South Carolina, it doesn't make me feel like particularly worried about your ability to make the game close. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, defensively right now, um, I think South Carolina is playing actually like shockingly competent ball. Yeah. Um, I, m- let me rephrase. Not competent. <laughs> defensively, South Carolina is playing probably better than you would think that they are. Right. But I just when I look at Kentucky, I for as there are a couple of teams on the schedule, Florida and Arkansas, for, for one, that I'm more worried about now than I was a couple of weeks ago. But Kentucky, it's like, I think they're going to give us a game. And I think, you know, they can really run the ball. And ultimately, like, if you can run the ball, it's sort of a it's sort of a horrible. Uh, it's a it's a horrible cliche, but like it is true that ultimately, if you can run the ball, you can be in a lot of games because you slow the game. You basically make the game shorter. Yeah. Um, but like at the end of the day, like. I think Kentucky is a really good story. Um, and I think they're a very good, like competent team. So like right now, Kentucky uh, 46th on defense EPA 48th on offense. They are 34th in SR rank offensively. Um, their rush EPA is 23rd, uh, no 33rd rush EPA rank 40th pass EPA rank uh, 13th pass down EPA rank. They, they have some, they've had pretty good explosive plays. Um, and 22nd PPO rank, they've converted on a lot of drives, but you know, I mean, this is a, what slightly above average defense, slightly above average offense. That's a good team. Right. But yeah. I don't know that it's necessarily a team that you look at and you think this is a team that's going to give Georgia problems. Yeah. And, um, the final game that I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit was just the sort of Auburn implosion at Auburn. Uh, they still came in with the win, but barely they i believe went into halftime down 12 points georgia state um again at auburn georgia state being the for the last several years the dead last program by yeah basically every yeah, metric Ge- georgia georgia state had a 80 79 win per, win expectancy in the fourth quarter yeah right uh they end up sort of like imploding at the end they had mm-hmm. a uh, pick six that made it you know go from close to not close mm-hmm. but i mean auburn man like what you gotta you gotta, happened? you gotta get on that yeah like man, yeah i mean man. I, I mean i think it's it's no secret that like um hate him or love him that gus Belzon did a lot uh let me let me how can I say this? Gus Malzahn's offense is maybe like solvable in a way that other offenses aren't if you have elite defensive talent, and that was UGA's ticket to success against him and to some extent Alabama's. Mm-hmm. But you know, he did get a lot out of his team. And the thing is, like right now, Auburn's defense is pretty good, right? They're really good in explosiveness surrendered, they're really good in stuff rate, they're really good in line yards, they're really good in, in rush EPA. But they played basically nobody, and they just have like an okay offense. Mm-hmm. That's that's my thing. Like Auburn hasn't played anyone, and they haven't really done the things that you would like to see an elite team do to not playing anyone. Yeah, right. They scored seventy two weeks ago, and they're still the thirty eighth EPA ranked. They're you know fifty eighth ranked in explosiveness, right? And offensively, and so it's like I again, I I don't. 
you play Auburn in Auburn and you can lose because that's just how Auburn works. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't have the fear of God in me for them. No, no. And th- I mean, Georgia State, which what's wild about this is that they had a, a rushing success rate of, let me actually do, do, do 34%, which is really not high, but to be able to put one dude, uh, give him 150 yards on the ground against this Auburn defense and just absolutely bonkers that, um, they were able to do that. I mean, in an early downs, especially they, they were much more successful. And so if Georgia state's able to do this, then I can't imagine what this game might look like against Auburn, um, when we do play them later this year. So I am very much looking forward to it, especially after this game. Um, and they did mm-hmm. actually Bonix got benched, uh, your boy Bonix. Yeah. In yeah, favor well, of because the, if he yeah. weren't white, he'd be playing a tight end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the truth so that's kind of that, just a little bit going that's forward. my evergreen hot take <laughs> uh but yeah lots of fun going on this weekend lots of team chaos but uh as far as prediction reviews go um we we agreed on most of the things this weekend uh but two and a half rushing touchdowns we both said over that was true 51 points scored also over very true uh 0.5 daniel snaps in the fourth quarter we both said under he was gone super early in the game uh, beck nine and a half snaps did he actually have nine and a half more than nine and a half he did, yeah. Okay. And he threw the ball he three times. He only had like three passes, but he had, more, he, he had more snaps, yeah. Cool. UGA punts two and a half under. Uh, that was true. Uh, that was you for that one. And then um, over under most UGA running back touchdowns, um, we said Zamir White. It was not Zamir White, was it? No. It, uh, Zamir White was tied with Brock Bowers and... Um, and Ladd McConkey. So no, it wasn't, but I guess it was. Gotcha. And then the, uh, the final score review, uh, you said 51 to six. I said 56 to three, 62 zero, just one score away from being a perfect score um, in the eyes of probably our discord and beyond. But we are hopping right into our next segment, which is our favorite segment. It's the ask CBC segment. It is the one where if you got questions, we attempt to have answers. So if, you would ever like for us to answer your questions on the show, be sure to get those questions to us before we record, which we try to let you know when we're going to record through either Twitter or on our Discord, uh, which you can be on for just $1 a month to be a part of this burgeoning community of fine fellow dogs. So very first question. This is, uh, if anything, right at the top, this is going to give you a feeling for what the Discord is really like. But Eric Russell asks, who would win, Vader or Thanos? Well, if Thanos has the Infinity Gems, it's mm-hmm. Thanos, right? Yes, that's exactly. I but think so. If it's just like one v one, I think people underestimate. Like Vader is a badass. Mm-hmm. I I think one v one Vader wins, but if Thanos has the full stones, and maybe if even if he has the time stones, you know, I think it's Thanos. But like Thanos is just like a big purple gremlin dude. I mean, he's not. He's a titan, mm-hmm. and he was i don't know i hate i hate Vader so much so i'm gonna pick fader uh, unless he has the infinity gems which sec coaches or just coaches in general would you equate to vader or thanos um thanos is uh dan mullen because i think that his whole gimmick is bullshit and i hate him <laughs> and vader i think is i mean it's obviously vader is nick saban like he he's He's more machine than man, and he seems like really stiff, mm-hmm. you know, but he actually is like a super big badass. Yeah. R123More asks, will anyone be able to match up with the juggernaut that is Buffalo Bills fo- Buffalo Bulls football? Excuse me. Oh, my God. Um, so this is a question we got last mm-hmm. week. 
let me explain this. This is a good, is a good time to talk about this. So, and we'll get into this more tomorrow with our Arkansas preview because we're going to be uh, pre- unveiling something exciting, mm-hmm. which is our power rank metric that me and R one two three more and Ross R over on our Patreon have been working on. Um, and one of the problems we were having in the we're, we're going to release the beta, and I guess what we would call the alpha and the alpha version of our power rank metric. Uh, we were having a hard time controlling for a opponent and like we weren't adjusting for opponent and talent enough in a way that was like we didn't have our regression coefficients the way we wanted need them to anyway (laughs) there was just a like a 24-hour period where no matter what we did the buffalo bills were in the top 10 like buffalo the buffalo bulls were in the top 10 of our ranking and we were like okay this is how we know it's still broken it's not right (laughs) yet this is how we know it's not right and actually like uh our more and i are i would say like uh talented hobbyists mm-hmm. and we have help from someone uh and i don't want to totally reveal him or whatever we've helped some from someone who is like a statistician by uh trade and so we think we're gonna be able to get out of really good uh something akin to sp plus or srs or fei that we think integrates and starts from a really interesting statistical point and integrates a lot of those things that those other systems do while also um tra- working with like some of the newer EPA stats and just some of the newer uh, stats that we've had since those metrics were introduced. Um, ultimately, we think it'll be helpful for our Discord patients in particular because I think it's going to be able to, it's going to let us pick lines really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the CBCPR, the the model that we're on now went 75% against Vegas last week, uh, which is unsustainably high, That's, yeah. but still um, really good. And we think that it will, um, I don't know, I, I think it'll be a really helpful value add for people who want to get on the Discord because you will have full access to the model and be able to play with it and tune it the way that you want it. And, you know, I'm sure that we will be shilling it around on Twitter and Facebook, et cetera, over the next couple of weeks. So look for that. But yeah, that's what this question's about. Industry experts, baby. Uh, second question, R123 yeah, Industry more. experts, <laughs> number two in the nation. Did Vandy die for our sins? No. The worst part, maybe, is that they all live. <laughs> now they have to live, <laughs> they have to live with, with the rest. Uh, yeah, yeah. Abby, stage manager for life, asks, how would you describe the Discord chat group to someone who hasn't listened to the podcast before? It's kind of like what would happen if you made a unproblematic white guy a Discord group. An unproblematic millennial. Mm-hmm. If you made him a Discord group, that's what it would be. It's like... Very into enthusiasm, very sex positive, uh, shockingly horny, to and obsessed with football somehow. Super into stats, lots of beards, uh, like texting you at all hours of the day. You have to mute his text notifications between like one and five. Yes, so you can go to that's sleep. That's correct. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so yeah, that's a little bit about it. Um, surprisingly horny, shockingly horny. Uh, what's your go-to game day meal when you aren't going to the game? Yeah, what did you eat, actually? Yo, how did you feed yourself? How did you sustain the many hours of football you watched, Nathan? Coffee and whiskey. Coffee and whiskey. What, no, um, no calories. No, I, I honestly, like, I'm a really big, well, lots of calories and co- whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I know this is weird, but, like, I, I, I really love breakfast. Like, I don't get to eat breakfast a lot of the time because it's just, like, my schedule and stuff. Or, like, I don't get to eat a big breakfast because it would make me feel sick. And so one of my favorite things to do on Saturdays and Sundays that I have free is I will get up and I will make coffee 
and I will just sit with like a giant. I have this mug that's from it's the mug from Knives Out that says like my my house, my coffee, my rules uh-huh. or whatever. And it's like giant, and I'll just get a giant mug of coffee and eat cereal with milk in like a giant bowl. Um, and then for lunch we had taco stand. Mm. That was love a taco stand. Fried chicken tacos from taco stand. Yep. I don't I don't know that I really have a go to meal because when I'm not at the game, um, when I'm not at the game I am like super stressed out usually so yesterday was like the first time that i was like hungry on a game day normally on a game day i'm just like walking around in circles and i'm too nervous to eat Mm -hmm. like an expectant father or something (laughs) and in past years we've just gorged ourselves afterwards um yeah i i I also really love breakfast and it doesn't love breakfast um for dinner which is one of my favorite things to do and was growing up i love brenner love brenner um, we're also a big fan, big, big fans of pancakes, um, in the mornings and watching cartoons before football and things like that. But, uh, I, you know, when I'm not going to the game, it's usually one of my, my standbys is like Playlock, um, Aguilinda. Mm. This weekend I got to have mm. La Coretta, which is the food truck for Aguilinda. And it was mm-hmm. just absolutely fantastic. Tacos are our go-to just about all of the time, but we do have a saying in our house that goes, do you ever start thinking about pizza and then you can't stop thinking about pizza? And when those days get to us, we have to eat pizza and fully loaded mm. is a, a good go-to uh, as of recent, but my, yeah, my wife is a beautiful human who I am. I could not be more in love with her and she's my best friend and my soulmate, but like literally her only flaw is that she doesn't like pizza. I didn't know that about That's her. literally I mean, like, she'll eat pizza, like, once in a while. It's just not a thing. It's just not not a thing. And I love pizza. And, like, every part of our relationship has been so beneficial and good for me, <laughs> except for the fact, the fact that she doesn't want pizza. Does she have an opinion on calzones? I don't know. Hey, Sam, what's your opinion on calzones? <laughs> I'm not getting a response, so... She's probably either upset at me or she's not in the room. That's fair. I don't, I think she's like a once in a while, like she's not, I think maybe it's just that like pizza often like gives her heartburn or like upsets her that's stomach. That's fair. I mean, Anna so lives it's just with hard for her to get past that. Tums in her pocket at all times. And so that's how she gets past it. Yeah. Um, next question. Floppy 454. This is Ian. Without using Sanford, UGA, or Athens, build your favorite stadium, campus, and town combination from other options in the SEC. If you're passionate about a combination outside the SEC, feel free to share that one, too. You can definitely mix and match. Um, I'm trying to think. You've been to a lot more. I mean, I, to me, I know, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, here, you go, you go. Oh, I, for me, it's like I absolutely love, uh, I love Boone. So App State's uh, town. Really love their town. Really, lo- really love their campus. I would say, like, I like their campus because it, it it still has that like it has like a rustic feel, but it doesn't feel too small or too big. It still feels very personal, and it's very much like integrated into the town in a in a similar way to the way UGA is with mm-hmm. Athens. But there is still like a distinct divide here in Athens and UGA. Whereas in Boone, you're there, like you're in the town, and it's not a huge town, but it is uh it's very friendly it's all my favorite parts of athens just in the mountains essentially um so i would go for mm. choosing that campus um campus wise okay so i would go death valley mm-hmm. uh lsu as my stadium stadium's just really fun and great and it's a stadium that's really big but you still feel close to the sideline like i don't know it's a very like visceral feeling being there 
Um, I would go town. Uh, God, in the SEC, I mean, I hate, I know I disgust myself when I'm about to say these words, but like Knoxville is like a fun town mm-hmm. to be in sometimes. Oh, yeah. Um, maybe Ox, maybe Oxford, but probably Knoxville. If I was going to go outside of the SEC, I would say Asheville. UNC Asheville is technically a college mm-hmm. town. Um, Asheville is technically a college. Technically, town. <laughs> uh, and then ca- campus, I would say, uh, honestly, and again, I can't believe I'm about to say these words, but Notre Dame's campus is—it's like if you had a UGI UGA size campus that was all North Campus. It's just yeah. all greens, all quads. It's gorgeous. Yeah, people are super nice. Um, it's right there next to their downtown, which is like, you know, nothing Not that I would write home about, but you know, yeah, but you know, it's there. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would, that would be my combo, which is like a really cursed combo. And I can't believe I'm recording that or whatever. <laughs> uh, this is a really deep cut, uh, question I feel, but it's from, it's Jay Ashley. How do you think marching band shows would change if they were required to be shown on the TV broadcast for their full duration? It's obviously valuable slash expensive airtime, so, but would there be an evolution of the design execution with more national exposure on these groups? Also, would I have been eligible for NIL money? <laughs> Jay Ashley being a former well, yeah, you would have been eligible to hold. Yeah, you would have been eligible for NIL money. You were eligible for NIL money because NCAA athletes are the only people who weren't. Um, you know, I think the change is part of the change that you're already seeing, which is with sort of like trying to search for this like viral virality of moment, which is like more and more traditional core bands going for more of a, like, we're going to spell things on the field. We're going to be more like photorealistic. We're going to try to like, uh, you know, do numbers, letters, we're going to do words. We're going to make, you know, little stick figures and make them run around. (laughs) Um, and I, and I think you're seeing a shift in college marching band towards those moments, trying to get those moments that are on, you know, Twitter, TikTok, whatever, Facebook, YouTube. Um, and I, I think that would be one change. I think the other change that you would see if there was just like a lot of required national exposure is that. Okay, I'm trying to think about how to say this without <laughs> with while being respectful. You would think that it would be one to one that good marching band programs would have excellent marching bands or sorry, sorry, that it would be one to one with good football programs having excellent marching bands. And that's true. A lot of them do. Alabama's band is quite good. Um, you know, Michigan's band is very, very good. Texas's band, very, very good. Right. And of course you have like Miak and Swack, but I'm talking yeah. about like power five bands. Mm-hmm. And you would think that, you know, you'd think that if you pulled up the top 10 of the AP today, that all 10 of those schools would have really good bands because they were the ones that are going to get the most exposure on TV. And that's not the case. Um, and without calling anybody out, because that's not helpful, and I, I respect everyone who does this activity, and I and I think basically that it's just something that needs to happen more, and it needs more exposure. But I think that if you had a level of, like, you are on TV, literally just you alone, everyone is watching you for seven minutes every week, that you would see those inefficiencies where you have programs in areas with high marching band talent with a lot of money in the, the athletic department having substandard bands i think you would see that iron out and i think you would see a closer match between high value athletic departments and high value marching bands because you know one of the things um and and this is like a little bit inside baseball but um one of the things is that sometimes that happens through no fault of the band there's a lot of good people who are there's a lot of good bands and with a lot of really good uh musicians who are kind of hamstrung by their athletic department Mm -hmm. i'm not talking about uga here at all i'm you UJ's athletic department has been great to the Redcoats, but I, I, I just, 
I think it's one of those things that some athletic departments sort of like think that they can just sort of spend the minimum amount of money possible on. Right. And, and I think that if you had a hypothetical where it was like the band is on the primetime ESPN game, seven minutes. I mean, like I know, okay. Like for the red coats, if that was the case, like we'd probably, I don't know for sure, but I imagine we'd have to practice more, right? Probably like, to start yeah. with. Like, like if you'd have to put more money in the program because it's going to be on TV. I, I mean, I don't think, yeah, I don't think you would have to, but I think that like there's a like in a world where that is happening where it's like you are on you are on primetime TV or you are on the noon, you know, big kick game or whatever and you know that you're UGA and you're going to do that every week for the whole entire semester except for like two or three, suddenly it becomes really real. And it's already really real. Like it's already intense, it's already high high pressure. It's already like you don't want to be the main character on Twitter. You don't want to be the band that like gets something wrong or accidentally makes a penis on the field <laughs> or you know, accidentally makes a, a swastika. These are all things that have happened oh, to boy. other bands, not the red coats. But like that pressure is already there, but I think the amount of pressure that these programs felt would start to be closer to what the pressure the football teams feel right now. Mm-hmm. Next question from K Sarge. What common household item do you own too much of to be considered quote-unquote normal? I always have at least three pounds of onions in my house. I don't think that's weird at all. You should always have more onions. Keep them. Mm -hmm. You can make a nice lentil stew, you know, anytime you want. You make chili. I had had cockaliki last week. That's leeks, but it was really good. What is cockaliki? It's a Scottish chicken and leek stew, and it's garnished with fig or prunes. It's very good. Huh. Do you own too much of it to be considered it's normal? <laughs> leeks? No. No. It's just that's something you can make with onions. Yeah. Or leeks. I don't think I have um, too much of anything in our house. Uh, I'm gonna be quite honest. It's candles. Just candles. Way too many candles. We have a, we have a lot of candles. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of candles, which is fine. Maybe I think my wife would probably argue that we have the appropriate amount of candles, but we we do have quite a few of them. Oh, there is a kitty sighting. Yeah. Kitty on the on the awning there. I probably have too many books, honestly, especially for the size of house we have. Oh, Way yeah. entirely too oh, many books. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. If that's a common household item, I don't know. But second question, K Sarge, who is your favorite player on the defense that will not be leaving for the draft? I think a hundred percent for me, it's mm-hmm. it's Jalen Carter. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. Jalen Carter is uh, just a, a breath of not fresh air necessarily, but a just a a, a welcome sight into what is to come. I feel so. Next question comes from Chromosphere. Um, Chromosphere asks, with game day in town, how does the band prepare since it's a noon game? I'm sure it's going to be a little crazy for you, Nathan. Yeah. Um, noon games are the worst. I don't know if we've had a noon game game day at UGA since I've been with the mm-hmm. band. I don't think we have at all. Um, noon games are pretty times tight as it is. Uh, you get up at like 5 a.m., you know, and you you just it's like you're going the whole time. Uh, you know, seven o'clock games, there's a lot more time built into the schedule just to sort of like chill noon games. It's like practice, go to the, go to this, go to, you know, the MLC eat, uh, get ready, do the dog walk, go in, play the game. Uh, and so it's going to be crazy. I don't really have a lot of intelligence about how, in what way it will be crazy because I'm, it's only, we only got it today. Um, I'm imagining there are going to be some logistical constraints, like the way that uh, marching band of the size of UGA works at, at UGA's, you know, the size of the Redcoats works at um, home is that it's sort of like 
it's sort of like a neurally networked computer where like each node, uh, each human is a different node of the computer that has like certain programming things. And what I mean by that is that uh, it's like you, you plan everything out in advance and there's nobody really telling everyone where to go. It's like everybody has it, has the schedule for beforehand and they have it on their phones and you know, you do practice and then like things just sort of roll from there. Like it's impossible for Brett's an amazing man director, but it's impossible for Brett to micromanage. I mean, half of the decisions even that have to get made on a game day. Right. So you sort of just like prep everything, you wind up the machine Mm -hmm. and then you just let it unwind. Right. And then basically from leaving practice at like seven or seven 30 all the way to the downbeat of the first, you know, the downbeat of Krypton before the game, like nobody's really in, I mean, there are people in charge, right. But it's like, it all just sort of happens because we all know what's going to happen. So anytime you compress that time or you put more logistical strain on the time because you have more people you have more trucks you have you have to deal with parking issues you have to deal with moving issues you have to deal with like okay well we can't take the band through here because we have talent there or whatever like things just get more stressed and like on game days in the past you know the way we are located with the red coat practice field at the im fields when they've done when they set up game day at the im or at the uh, at myers quad it's actually pretty easy for us to avoid like we have to send a derby's gig over there to play usually but we, um, you know, we can basically just like get the rest of the band in short order over to where they need to be. And it's kind of just like a normal day. I know that on noon games, when when game, the game day game is a new game, they will do the last hour in the stadium. Mm-hmm. So I don't know for sure because then it's told me, but I'm imagining that's going to make stadium entrance and dog walk even more complicated for us. And noon stadium entrances and dog walks are already pretty tight. Um, so, yeah. It's a lot. I think, and a lot of people are talking like, wouldn't it be cool if it got pushed back? Do you know of any precedents of games getting pushed back like this close to game day? I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I know that, you know, we kind of learned, this is something that Jashley and I were talking about in the, um, in the chat beforehand, mm-hmm. but like we learned last year that the limit of the rules that they can break is how many rules that they want to break basically like, you know, they can make everything up on the fly if they want. Um, I, I don't think it's going to get changed because a, I don't think that they, I think they're going to say that there's a rule that they can't. And B, I think that they are trying to counter program whatever the Fox big noon game mm-hmm. is. Right. So they actually want a big game there on yeah. like, you know, that that's what they did with uh, the Notre Dame game at soldier field. If you look at it inside of the context of the SEC, it certainly doesn't make any sense with the games that you have scheduled later on. It doesn't make sense with the primetime game being Penn State. You know, the primetime game, I think, is Penn State, Indiana. Mm-hmm. So it's like it, that it doesn't make sense at all. But I think because there's money involved, it's not going to change. Yeah, it's one of those things. Money rules the world. It was capitalism all along. Mm-hmm. Next question. Always was. And then the <laughs> astronaut shoots you in the back. <laughs> uh, Christy in London. And over under and review show for variety. UGA has eight remaining regular season opponents. How many of them will score fewer than nine and a half points against us? I set the line at three point five. Okay, uh, let's see. Charleston Southern. That's one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Who? What else is? What's the bottom of the conference? Um, Tennessee. We've already Missouri, played in the conference. Charleston Southern. Those are three games. I feel could be kept under Georgia Tech and Georgia Tech. That's four. What did he put it at three and a half? Three and a half teams. Yeah. But nine and a half points. It's fewer than fewer than nine and a half. Oh, I thought it was fewer than no fewer than nine and a half points against us. And the line is over under three and a half. Yeah. 
oh, bang the, like, windmill slam the over. <laughs> yeah. But because, like, I think, well, like, because I think if you give me 10 points, I think that gives you Georgia Tech. It gives you um, Charleston Southern. Mm-hmm. That gives you, I didn't think that Missouri looked, like, particularly good. Um, and I think even maybe Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> like, so that's They're pretty four, low scoring. That's the over. I don't know. Now now I'm talking myself out of it. Like I'd probably take if I had money on it, I would probably take the under. Mm-hmm. But I think it's not it wouldn't be ridiculous to take the over on. Yeah. That. If the over It's a well set line. Yeah, it's a very well set line. London. Yeah. If it were I think that if the over had a less probability of, of happening and the, the payout was more, I would definitely take it. Uh and I think I would take it regardless, just because yeah. it seems seems likely. And it feels good to say it. Uh Cap Falcon. This is a fun question. What is a survival sim setting, sci-fi, Wild West, jungle, etc. you think is underexplored? What's something unique it would bring to the table um, that you'd like to see, I guess, you know, in a video game or a uh, any other type of media? I don't think anyone's ever really nailed the, like, Minecraft but sci-fi mm-hmm. thing. Like, we're playing Valheim, which has some, like, Minecrafty elements mm-hmm. to it. I don't think anyone's really gotten the Minecraft, but so like, okay, one of the thing, one of the problems I have with survival Sims is that like, sometimes they make the worlds that they're in feel very empty. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, I know like you have like arc survival involved, uh, evolved, but that's like, you know, that's a, almost a service game where you're all on these big, uh, whatchamacallit servers or whatever. But I, I, I don't think that anyone's really nailed it. And I think a, my, one of my problems is that like, even with games I really like, like No Man's Sky, a lot of like sci-fi survival games, it's like you have this massive world and it's just like it feels very empty. Mm-hmm. It either feels ecologically empty or it feels empty in the sense that there just like aren't a lot of like characters in the world. And so like one of the one of the like geniuses of Valheim's is that the biome system makes the world feel very diverse. It makes it feel as though you always have something to discover. And the ease with which it plays and scales in a co-op setting means that you never really feel like lonely when you play the game. Like one of my biggest uh, sort of uh, problems with Minecraft, even though like I think Minecraft is like a very important game to the history of games. Mm-hmm. One of my biggest problems with Minecraft is that I think it, it, it it's a really easy to play Minecraft and just feel sort of the sense of like ennui and loneliness. It does. Yeah, it feels very empty. We played Boundless for a while, which is basically Minecraft, uh, but tighter in some ways. And Online. Yeah. Yeah. Still felt very empty at times even though we're playing with each other but yeah i got two that are more or less the same question and i wanted to read them together my got a podcast and miles um they're asking more or less the same question my got a podcast can georgia run the damn ball doesn't matter and miles asks what do we need to break open the run game uh i think we need to get the offensive line settled i think having tate ratledge go down having your right guard go down right at you know during the first game it had an impact on the team that we have the depth to absorb, but I don't think we've quite evened that out. I think that one of the things that's going to get the run game right is needing to have the run game. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah, it does. Like there hasn't really been, I mean, we had one drive against Clemson when we had to have, we're trying to kill the clock in a four minute uh, kind of scenario. I think you're going to see more of Mims. I think that we have some players like, I think Warren Erickson is a player. I think project Jones is a player where it's like, either they're great in pass protection or bad in run protection sometimes or the vice versa. Um, and I think, I think the future is probably project Jones, at left tackle, uh, Sawyer at left guard, right tackle, Justin Schaefer, and then right tackle, or sorry, right guard, Justin Schaefer, and then right tackle, uh, 
probably um, a MIMS. That's the future mm-hmm. future. I don't know if that's like the immediate Arkansas future, but I mean, I think that's the answer. And then as to whether that matters, I mean, you throw the ball downfield enough, you're going to get holes. Yeah. You know, if we can keep our, I think in time, I think part of our frustration with the run game has been, and I get this from Kirby and uh, uh, Munkin's perspective that part of our frustration in the run run game has been that like every time we run it, everybody in the stadium has known that we're going to run it. Yeah. Like when you're up 60, when you're <laughs> up 53 or whatever, 54, 55, whatever. And you get the ball back on your own 25 and you have your second team defense in. You're going to run the inside uh, the inside zone because that's the core of your offense. And so, yeah, if everybody knows it, then, yeah, they'll, they can stop that, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like, you know, I would have loved to have seen a little bit more um, a little bit more ingenuity on that fourth down play at the goal line against Vandy. But it's like, one, you're already up multiple touchdowns. Two, you, you know you can win this game even without – um, you know you can win this game even without a touchdown there. And three, you've already gotten in a quick turn situation like that where you pin the when you pin the uh, the opposing offense back. You've already gotten one safety out of it. So it's like there is literally if you're if you're trying to figure out what's going on in offensive line, and you find yourself in that situation up several touchdowns. It makes sense to run a play that has a high probability of failure just to see if they can execute it. Mm-hmm. From P forty four Haynes, how is it possible that Brock Bowers is a time machine and is all of our dads? <laughs> Yeah, he does have sort of that, like, simultaneously your son and your dad vibe. He does. You know what I mean? He, got, he has, like, the dad look of, like, you know, sometimes you meet a dad and you're like, oh, you, like, that that silly dad. And he has kind of that look about him, like, even in his, uh, if you look up his uh, his photo for the team in his suit and everything, his hair is just kind of like, blah, 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 you know, like, oh, you, that that's yeah, silly if, dad. If you, if you, like, saw him at a frat parent day. Mm-hmm. You would have to talk yourself into whether he was a dad or a member. <laughs> you know what I mean? Either You'd way. be like, is this like a recent alumni or a freshman? He's kind of got that Paul Rudd aspect to his looks. He does. And he he looks like he has a little secret. Like his mouth's real small. He's like, mm, I know something you don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how that. <laughs> someone was talking about the fact that someone someone was talking about the fact that like we have to teach Brock Bowers to smile without looking like it's killing his soul. <laughs> Poor guy. It'll be okay, bud. Next question comes from Matt Alexander. Hello, CBC folks. I trust you are well. After atomizing the Commodores, land sailors, haha, sheesh. What stops the number two dogs from winning the national championship? I mean, nothing. Alabama. Alabama twice, potentially, which sucks. Uh, but it seems yeah. to be how it always yeah. is. You know? Uh, I'll let you hit this one because it is very much in your wheelhouse, I think. Um both for real and and jokingly, because I think that you were the, the originally the origin of the James Bearfield Troll Corner, and so hit us mm-hmm. hit us hit me with what this is trying to tell us, if you could. All right, this is Nicholas Twiner, and I don't I don't think he's using linguistic linguist markup, but he's getting something. Yeah, I well he's le- he's using markup f- like that linguists use to separate out sentence like syntax Mm -hmm. or whatever sentence construction sort of and i think he is a linguist i am not a linguist um but his question is basically okay when we say the james fearful bearfield troll corner presented by cheerwine trademark sign trademark sign trademark (laughs) sign who are the trademark signs attached Mm -hmm. to right is the so we have three tms we say tm 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 right and so is the tm for the james bearfield troll corner is it for cheerwine 
is it for the wine what gives you diabetes <laughs> right so i my answer is that if we are doing like brackets mm-hmm. so the first tm is for cheer wine the wine what gives you diabetes yes. the second tm is for the entire um the entirety of the segment name mm-hmm. and the third tm that's for the holy spirit who was there all along or jesus who carried you and there's one set of footprints in the sand speaking of dr james bearfield's troll corner that is uh the last piece of today's puzzle that is the vanderbilt review so without further ado here is the dr james bearfield troll corner presented by cheer cheer wine the wine that gives you diabetes tm 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 first question when darnell washington comes back is he still tight in one or is that bowers now I think he is tight in Darnell Washington is probably tight in one, but I think that that's sort of a silly distinction because he's going to get a lot of playing time. Bowers is. And I also think that Bowers is getting lined up. I think Bowers is your flex tight end and uh, Darnell is your, 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 you know, inline tight end. Although Darnell is a very good flex tight end as well. I think, I think instead of really like who's starting, it's just going to be like UGA is in 12 personnel, like, you know, 40% of the time now. Second question, are people who are scared of butterflies also scared of moths? Uh, so here's the thing. There is a phobia, Nathan. Um, for not one or the other, it's for both. It's it, in the, the phobia description uh, called lepido, lepido, lepidopterophobia, I believe, um, is the fear of butterflies or moths. But it's specifically not the fear of butterflies and moths. Oh, you can't have two. So I don't know if that's important, hmm. but if we're talking about, if we got linguist questions in here. We got to talk about it. Uh, I mean, I, I think that it's probably, I, I think if you're afraid of butterflies, you're almost certainly afraid of moths, but I, moths freak me out and butterflies do not. There's a big ass moth. It's probably some there. kind of rec- rectangle scale thing. Yeah. Rectangle um, square thing. Uh, will you share with us a poem that best equates this domination? Yeah. So I have from, from Alfred Lord Tennyson. Um, I don't think I'm going to read all six chapters of this <laughs> or stanzas. <laughs> it's from Alfred Lord Tennyson. This is from the uh, this is from the perspective of Vandy. This is called the Charge of the Light Brigade. <clears throat> half a league, half a league, half a league onward, all in the valley of death rode the six hundred. Ford the light brigade charged for the guns. He said, "Into the valley of death rode the six hundred. Ford the light brigade was there a man dismayed? Not though the sol- not though the soldier knew someone had blundered." There's not to make reply, there's not to reason why, there's but to do and die, into the valley of death rode the 600. Cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them, cannon in front of them, volley and thundered, stormed at with shot and shell, boldly the road and well, into the jaws of death, into the mouth of hell, rode the 600. Flashed all their sabers bare, flashed as they turned in air, sabering the gunners there, charging an army while all the world wondered. Plunged in the battery smoke, right through the line they broke. Cossack and Russian reeled from the saber stroke, shattered and sundered. Then they rode back, but not the 600. Cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them, cannon behind them, volley and thundered. Storm at the shot and shell, while the horse and hero fell. They that had fought so well came through the jaws of death, back from the mouth of hell. All that was less for them left of 600. When can their glory fade? Oh, the wild charge they made, all the world wondered. Honor the charge they made. Honor the light brigade, noble six hundred. Hmm. So yeah, there it is for you. It is used in the Blind Side, but this is actually about something in the in one of the Crimean Wars that Russia got in, or that um, that Britain got itself involved in with Russia. That also sort of was like an outflow of the Russian and British occupations of Afghanistan, ironically, um, and. 
they there was this brigade of light uh cavalry that got sent in like to the face of cannons because of a dumb um like a dumb miscommunication that involved people's honor or whatever and like of the 600 of the people in the brigade like all but 30 of them died so i thought you know that's sort of like the noble heroes of vanderbilt vanderbilt who ran into the cannons <laughs> with their sabers sweet boys uh, as a stats focus podcast, I have a question. What is the success rate of our defensive line shifting all at once? For example, when doing that causes a missed block for a tackle or pulls a penalty. Do you know this question? I don't know. Yeah, that. that's a really I tough. don't know the answer to that, but it is kind of a joke among my friends that every time UGA gets a false start penalty with a defensive line shift, it's like drink. <laughs> it's like a drinking game at this point. And now it is for you as well. Uh, last question. Anchors up. Am I right? Yeah, anchors, anchors up, or I anchors guess. Down, anchors, anchors away, away, my boys. Anchors gone. Never yeah. there in the first place. See us out, Nathan. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere that you can subscribe to a podcast, including Spotify. You can get in touch with us on Facebook by searching Chapel Bell Curve, by email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at Chapel Bell Curve. Also, we just made a Chapel Bell Curve TikTok. I don't know what we're going to do Who with it, say? but we have the handle chapel bell curve on tiktok we'll figure something out it's probably just going to be like me from the game posting dumb tiktoks Mm -hmm. or whatever uh if you'd like to support this podcast check out our patreon at patreon.com slash chapel bell curve if you enjoyed this today's episode leave us rating or review on the apple uh apple podcast or spotify or wherever and if it needs to be a bad review make sure you send it to us so that we see it because we always like to we like the sauce that the haters make um if again if you really love this and you want to be part of an excellent excellent community of fellow weirdos over on our discord check us out at patreon.com forward slash chapel bell curve we'll catch you this weekend in the classic city at noon for some reason but until then go, go dogs. dogs.